This is the Watchmen podcast on TV Podcast Industries, and we're talking about feedback for the finale of Watchmen, episode 9, See How They Fly. Welcome back, fellow watchers. This is TV Podcast Industries. I'm one of your hosts, Derek, and we're here talking about Watchmen Episode 9, the finale of the series. See how they fly. Hello there, fellow watchers. Yes, this is the final bulletin of our Atomic Watchers. Mm -hmm. Uh, And yes, we're looking at Episode 9. I am one of your other hosts, John. TikTok, TikTok. And rounding out this fabulous trio, I'm Chris. Excellent, excellent. You know, I had the final bulletin of our Atomic Watchers written out in front of me this time, and I still forgot it. What I'm very impressed with, though, we're on we're on video Skype with Chris, and I'm wearing a nice blue jumper, and Chris is just covered in a nice Dr. Manhattan blue glow as we look at him here. Yes, you know, Dr. Dr. Manhattan has just flashed at him. <laughs> I am sorry pants, to say, though. I'm slowly just going to peel off my skin and become blue all over. <laughs> or I should say, I blew myself. There you um, go. For our oh, my pants. God. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yes. Well, as Chris is sitting here as our Dr. Manhattan, even though he is Topher, uh, as we've discussed before, and John is also John with a H, what does that make me in the universe of Watchmen? I'm trying to work out. Uh, that, there's Lou, no Derek. Lou, man. Well, maybe. Maybe. Dirk. Dirk Digley. There's Dirk no Derek. Jack. There's no O'Neill. There's nobody in there representing me. So we just have John and Topher here uh, with Derek, the host uh, for this episode. Um, we are going to dive straight into feedback for this episode because there is absolutely loads. Everybody wants to talk about the finale of Watchmen, possibly uh, the finale of the whole show completely. Um, if you want to stay subscribed to us and see what we're doing in the future, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on tvpodcastindustries.com. Loads of options there for you. You can always subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Stitcher, everywhere you can find podcasts. We are there and always free uh, for our main feed and all of our podcasts as well. Yes, but don't forget, we also need to keep the lights on. So support the show and think about jumping over to patreon.com slash TV podcast industries, where just a single dollar, single euro, single pound, you can help us do what we love and what you love listening to. And as always, you may be listening to these podcasts a little bit ahead. Later than when we finished all of our feedback, you can still send in feedback. We love reading any thoughts that you have on the show that we may not have thought about. You can email us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. John, do you want to take the first piece of feedback? Certainly. Our first bit of uh, email feedback comes from Dave Horrocks over on Comics in Motion podcast. Dave goes, hey guys, really looking forward to hearing your feedback episode and whichever series you decide to tackle next. I'm sure I've said it before, but the work you guys put in is amazing, and especially with a dense property like Watchmen. I really appreciate listening and the insight from all the research you do. Thank you very much, Dave. It's really uh, great to to hear from you and and those kind words as well. Really nice. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. And I want to say a huge congratulations to Dave and the Comics and Motion podcast that just reached their 100th episode a couple of weeks ago. So that is a massive achievement. Anybody who does podcasting knows how massive it is to get yeah. to that 100th episode. Mark did a little while ago ourselves. <laughs> but congratulations, Dave. We didn't get the chance to send a message in. We usually try and do that for our friends who podcasted for their 100th episode. And we just didn't get the chance with everything that we were doing specifically on Watchmen. 
Yes, congratulations, Dave. Uh, it, as someone who we are now in our uh, triple digits and um, we just hit our fourth centennial mm-hmm. uh, episode, uh, we are definitely know how hard it is. So congratulations. Yeah. Um, keep up the good work. And um, yeah, we'll see you in, when you hit 200. Absolutely. Oh, well, and quick recommendation for any of our watchers. They've just done a review of Batman Returns, which is their Christmas episode. Have a listen. Um you may find it surprising what their what Dave's opinion is of, uh, of Batman Returns. I did watch it recently, and I might have to agree with Dave's opinion. Anyway, not going to spoil uh, their podcast. Go yeah. listen to it. John? Dave continues, I'm a fan of the original Watchmen comic series and was fascinated with what Lindelof would do with this series. From my perspective, what he and his writer's room have done is pretty amazing. It would have been so easy to go back to the well and retread what we've seen from the comics and also the movie. But to take the world and build on it the way they do, while also knitting in real-world history and racial issues, is simply fantastic. If I were to have one small criticism in where they haven't quite captured the essence of Watchmen, is how the story wrapped up. The original story leaves the reader contemplating what is right and wrong, who is good or bad in the traditional comic book style. You're left wondering whether Adrian was right and whether the ends justify the means. The TV series wraps up quite nicely, and the villain, who has quite a Silver Age motivation to steal the powers of the god and presumably take over the world, is defeated. The other thing I'm left pondering is how many viewers enjoy the show, who knew nothing about the original comic or movie. I'd recommend the series to a colleague... I had recommended the series to a colleague who was looking for something new to get into, but not knowing anything about the original story. They just couldn't get past the first episode. And when we got the Dr. Manhattan reveal, I was left wondering why any new viewers would care about that. Keep up the great work, guys. Laters, Dave. Thanks, Dave, for that. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? I think we've certainly... Uh, wax lyrical about uh, this show. I mean, I, I've never given so many fives out of five uh, before. Um, and I think certainly coming at it from the, you know, comic issues for people who have just never bothered, I suppose, you know, there's a lot of layers, a lot of textures, a lot of context around a lot of these characters, which may quite easily get lost on them. So I definitely get your point there for sure. Yeah, um, so uh, on the piece around people, other other non-comic book or movie watchers and viewers, whether they enjoyed it, um, speaking from experience, my wife, uh, who is not a comic book fan, who is not, uh, has probably, to my knowledge, has not watched the film, uh, she watched this along with me. She She really enjoyed it. They went a long way in terms of trying to explain the significance of some of these characters. Absolutely. So, like, they had shown Dr. Manhattan before. Could they have done a better job for more of the the kind of quote-unquote newbies? Uh, I don't think so. I I think it was just layered enough. It piqued enough people's interest. Um, I think it is not a show for everyone. I've recommended the show to multiple, multiple people, and I'd say... 80 to 90% have watched it and enjoyed it. There is always that 10%, but that's okay. There are show, not all shows are created equally for everyone. <laughs> um, it's kind of some people prefer, um, some people prefer The Bachelor or Love Island. Yeah. Some people prefer Watchmen. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying one's better than the other. Yeah. 
I, I could probably, I could probably argue which one is better, but I'm not going to each to their own. Mm. Um, so I think <laughs> I'll I definitely do think argue it that. was. <laughs> I definitely I would argue it for a long time. Both have a large amount of nudity, um, but one is blue and the other is just normal. Um, uh, both have a lot of uh, very strong script. <laughs> you didn't um, have to argue, though, Chris. It's okay. You can move on. Okay, sorry. I thought I thought you were asking. Me <laughs> no, to. no, uh, no. So to kind of like to to the point of what Dave is saying around could people be left pondering too many questions and is it for everyone? I think it is. I just think it's not a, sh- like not everyone will, will fall in love with the show. I think a majority of people. Will. I think the good news is the ratings bear out that this was a massively popular show. And that if we know anything about comic books uh, over our years of covering comic books, comic book sales are actually very low in comparison to what you think. The amount of people that tune into a TV show every week or go out to a movie far outstrip the amount of people that read a comic book especially a comic book this old this is something from the mid 80s so while a lot of people have read it and while it's one of those books that people put up and say you have to read it i know a lot of people haven't read the book and watched the show they may have been tempted to pick it up while they were watching the show weekly that's great and uh, we do have a, a bit of feedback from uh, some some of our listeners who've never read the book before so that's really good what i what i would say is by being a comic book reader i think you get tipped off a little earlier to some of the bigger reveals or some of the reveals in the show but i think they made a satisfactory description of why it should matter to you that angela is becoming dr manhattan i think they gave enough of a reveal about dr manhattan and what his powers are before they revealed who dr manhattan is and what was happening in the show i suppose so i think everybody's able to be brought along and that's that's the magic of of what's happened with this writer's room really yeah no i mean i think the writers have been uh fantastic mm-hmm. so I think, yeah, definitely. Thanks so much for that, Dave. Chris, do you want to take the next piece of feedback? Yes, we also have an email from Jimbo, who says, Fellas, what a series. As so often happens, the final episode perhaps did not quite hit some of the highs set earlier in the season, but it was still a highly satisfying conclusion to this outstanding show. Whisper it, but I might actually prefer this story to that of the original comic books. <gasps> <laughs> Jimbo went on to say, I loved how the story finally came together, managed to get all the key characters into the same location for the showdown. After such a great development and originality, even the likes of Red and Pyrogeny managed to have their moments. Mm. My earlier theory that no trillionaire could ever be a baddie still holds up, <laughs> but was done here in a very funny way. Lady T's origin, c- conception story, was definitely... The most unusual one I have seen, (laughs) but I'm still not quite sold on her Bond villain plans. As with all her brains and resources, I don't really see why she even needed to bother with the cavalry to have to get it done. I also enjoy the whole Adrian escape and frozen in carbonite sequence. We're not calling carbonite, we're calling goldenite. (laughs) Despite previous concerns over the whole zaniness of the situation, I think only someone with the acting chops of Jeremy Irons could have pulled something like this off. Pairing him up with Laurie and Wade, but sadly no Petey, for a few scenes was genius, in more ways than one. Some mixed emotions over his potential fate back in prison, although to be fair, it's totally justified. You still have this feeling that it might not be the end of him, though, especially if you can get a hold of another horseshoe. <laughs> the last scene was also both satisfying and very appropriate, as this really has been Angela's story. 
That final shot of her foot over the pool really reminded me of something else. And I thought it was the spinner at the end of Inception, but I can't help feeling it is something else. So I'm keen to hear your thoughts on what this could be too. I have not even got around to mentioning the timeless and themes experienced here of racism, conspiracy and strong female leads. And I don't think I've ever used a six syllable word like cinematography as often I have in recent months. Even the eggs, which I guess represented birth, family, legacy, were utilized so well throughout this season. I don't think I've ever said this before, but I agree with you that I hope this show is a one and done. And I would certainly rather leave Angela's stories there, as I saw with Anakin in the prequels, not everything needs explaining. Hey, hey, let's let's not rag on the prequels too much, but let's moving on. I still feel this was more a series of individually standout ideas where the single episodes were perhaps better than the overall story arc. And I still think episode six, Hood of Justice, was one of perhaps the best things I've ever seen on TV and would be keen to hear if you guys have any favorite episodes. Overall, I truly uh, see what you did there. Groundbreaking series. And I want to say thank you to the three of you for making it really more immersive and interesting to watch. Really looking forward to seeing what your plan is for 2020 and keep up the feedback episodes. All the best for the festive season, Jimbo. Thank you so much, Jimbo. That was an amazing feedback email. Really appreciate it. Um, okay. Where to start? Where to start? <laughs> First of all, leave the prequels alone. All right. All right. Like, I still, okay. Love them. Anyway, moving on. George Lucas, you, we, we still, you, love you them. can slag off the pre- prequels as much as you'd like. It's no problem at all. <laughs> uh, I, the one thing I will, I will say, I, I have loved doing these feedback episodes. It's been great fun, uh, doing two episodes a week on the topic of Watchmen. It's only thanks to your feedback that we're able to do it because, there's a lot to talk about yet, but I think if we had to talk about every single week, if the show, for example, wasn't as dense as The Watchmen, uh, we probably wouldn't do a feedback episode and an episode about what we just watched. Um, there's a lot of content in The Watchmen, and we love getting your feedback, and everybody has some great, great thoughts about the show, but it's only because of the feedback that comes into us. If we got one piece of feedback a week, we'd probably just save it for the uh, for the podcast. So I'm really glad that our wonderful watchers have been sending in some great feedback this season including yourself, Jimbo. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you uh, so much, Jimbo. I think myself, I completely agree. I, it was great having Laurie and Wade with um, Adrian Veidt uh, at Karnak. I, I too wish that PT had been there. I just feel he's kind of, he kind of dropped off a uh, sewer cliff uh, to an extent. It was Slithered probably, uh, yeah. He probably got carried away. It was a bit like Harrison Ford in Fugitive uh, over the the edge of the, the sewer dam or something. But, uh, yeah. Well, when we get to Petypedia, we'll find out. Well, he, exactly. He is kind of a fugitive now, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I think um, that was a great thing. And, and it certainly um, brought the whole zaniness of Adrian uh, on uh, on the Jupiter moon of Europa sort of kind of to a nice conclusion mm-hmm. I thought and certainly as I said in the podcast um, I just loved the fact that his daughter got him to stand with his hands on his hips uh, <laughs> as he gets sprayed gold to fit into the action figure mold <laughs> that she prepared for him yeah, really really good uh, one of the things you didn't really talk about with, with regards to Lady True and her plan and the episode that, that stood out to me the next time I watched the episode because I did watch it again because it's that bloody good Um there was a lot of references to her being a Christ-like figure in the episode that we didn't really call out very much. Uh, there's the moment just before the ship 
falls on her head uh, where you have a Jesus Christ statue right beside her which breaks off and falls to the ground just before she's crushed so a reference there the little hat that she pops onto her head before she goes if you look at it from behind it actually looks like a halo so she's she feels she's becoming a deity Um, someone pointed out if you pause it at the right moment now it's a very tenuous link but if you pause it at the right moment she's standing in front of the uh, 7th Cavalry leaders, the uh, the Cyclops leaders, um, and she looks like Jesus at the Last Supper just before she kills them all. So these are all references to the fact that she believes she's becoming a better deity than Dr. Manhattan was. Again, we talked about it on, on the main podcast, but um, she believes she could do something better with the plans of Dr. Manhattan, and it's because even though she's the smartest one in the world, she still doesn't understand his his actual powers. If she got the powers, she just experienced all of time at the same time, realized she can't change anything that's going to happen anyway, and probably end off in the same situation that Dr. Manhattan was, just careering th- towards her fight, her final fate rather than actually being able to change the world. But that is the narcissistic attitude that she brings to her plan. It's, I can do better, so give me the power. Um, so yeah, so it's, I don't think she was going to control the world. I think she was going to do all of this, what she thought, surreptitiously, and make the changes that she believes the world should have needed uh, to fix their problems, I suppose. So intriguing plan, but just interesting that they had a lot of references to the fact that she believed herself to be the new Christ figure, effectively. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Upon I've had one more viewing of it as well since, and I'm starting to, I'm starting to lean more into her plan. Um, I, I, I have seen people kind of go this Bond villain plan. I've seen that term kind of pop up a few times. <laughs> I, I kind of think it's a lot more layered nuances. And, and I, I do think that there was definitely a good rationale and reason for her to use the cavalry. And I, we explained it in our podcast on the review, essentially, that she was hiding her involvement from Dr. Manhattan by using mm-hmm. the cavalry. Uh, and kind of setting them up, if you want, to be the fall guy, to get them to do everything for her. Um, and I, I think that is a good thing. It's the, 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 if anything, the Bond villain is Senator Keane Jr. Um, that is the, your stereotypical, um, kind of yeah, Dr. Yeah. Evil. He, stand, he stands in front of her, lays out his plan as if he's already won, and then is destroyed two seconds later, basically. So that, that is a typical exactly, Bond villain yeah. moment there, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, uh, great. And please, yes, c- keep looking forward, Jimbo, to what we have in, coming mm-hmm. up in 2020. We'll be talking at it at the very end of this episode, <laughs> just to make everyone wait till the end. Uh, but watch this space and keep up the great feedback, more importantly. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Jimbo. Next piece of feedback comes in from Benjamin Elsley. He says, hey there, Chris and John. Thanks again for the podcast. I look forward to it every week after the show. I'm sad it's now over, but as Derek said, season two is watching season one again, and I will definitely be doing just that. What an amazing show. Nothing ever ends. I do have a suspicion that Will has Dr. M's powers as well as Angela. He was in the kitchen when Angela noticed the intact egg in the carton and asked if she needed a hand, like he was waiting to see if she noticed the egg. Maybe Will put it in there. The carton did seem to be moved away from the cracked eggs. Also, did anyone notice that when Angela is holding the egg in the bar scene and asking Dr. M about his powers, in one shot the egg has a shell and in another shot it looks shiny and smooth like a hard-boiled egg? which could be a hint to the hard-boiled egg Will ate in Angela's bakery. After all, he is quite a spry 100-plus-year-old, and he made a deal with Dr. M a few years ago at his house. Who knows? Yeah, that's a, an interesting theory there, uh, Benjamin, for sure. I I kind of quite like it. I know what you mean. I mean, 
Will is a sprightly hundred plus year old, mm-hmm. and he certainly uh, doesn't seem as though he's going to slow down anytime soon. Although I think things will get quieter for him now that the plan has come to fruition. Well, he's going to sleep for four days. Well, so. that's true. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that's that's an interesting idea because yeah, that they they make a deal. Um, I, I suppose we're all really thinking that it's the deal that has unfolded over this series. Um, but maybe, just maybe, he has also ingested some of Dr. Manhattan's protein. I like the idea. I don't think it's what, what they were implying. Um, I do see him as, I see him as the Bruce Wayne, like the very old Bruce Wayne, um, that has, essentially become the Bruce Wayne from Batman Beyond. He's in the wheelchair. He's kind of shuffling forward. He's still a crazy, crazy <laughs> old man. Um, and he can do things with his flashy lights. Uh-huh. Um, it's very much brains over brawn in this situation. Yeah. Um, that's the way I, I, I kind of see him. He, he, he's, he's the old Bruce Wayne. He's, he's to a degree hung up his, uh, cowl. Um, but he's still, or in this case, Hood, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's still formidable. I really like, because there's a moment in that conversation with Angela in the Dreamland Theatre where Will just seems to look like his plan has all come to fruition. He doesn't really give any care at all about the death of Dr. Manhattan or Lady True or or everything else. He's gotten what he wanted to accomplish done. He got all the heads of the Cyclops organization dead in one moment i love because he just seems so relaxed when he finds it out from angela he's like did, did everything happen the way it should have happened yep dr manhattan yeah he was a nice guy and i know he was your husband and stuff but you know he had a lot of power and he should have used the power better because <laughs> i just basically did because <laughs> i orchestrated the whole thing here to kill all the heads of the cyclops wasn't that awesome <laughs> i just really like that moment well uh, but yeah never know never know that might be a, a little plot point if we do get a season two Benjamin continues, my wife also pointed out that seeing Cal Hatton in the lithium cage reminded her of Otabenga, who was an African man who was taken from the Congo and put in a cage for display at the Bronx Zoo and the World's Fair in New York in the early 1900s. That is just an absolutely awful, awful story, Benjamin. Yeah, I saw that there. Um, you, you've directed us to the Wikipedia page. You can kind of see that, that that may have been a touch point, may have been a reference. It's just an absolutely ho- awful story of, of a person kidnapped from their home country yeah. and stuck on display as a pygmy, I think is how they describe it in, in the Wikipedia entry. Yeah, it's um, a pretty grim thought, isn't it, to yeah. be honest? Yeah. yeah, it was. it's the pygmies of the Congo right. uh, forest yeah. tribes. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Just awful. Just shows you how horrible human beings can be, you know, especially at a point of difference. Anything that makes someone different can be a cause for ridicule or a cause for selling tickets for somebody that's in power. You know, it's just absolutely atrocious, atrocious piece, but I can totally see where your wife would have noticed something like that and seen it as a, as a reference point. Really? Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Finally, Benjamin says, thank you for all your discussions and hard work. It's been a blast going on this Watchmen journey with you all. All the best, Benjamin. Yeah. Thank you so much, Benjamin, for the feedback. Um, and, and it's been a, a blast uh, hearing your thoughts yeah. on it as well, as as well as everyone else's yeah. as well. And it's um, not that much work; it's lots of fun. It's television we're watching and we're just recording our thoughts is great. So yeah, it's been it's been great to discuss them uh, each week actually mm-hmm. uh, from a whole range of different people. So yeah, a big thank you to all those people, uh, including yourself, Benjamin, who have provided their feedback in writing through Facebook and of course through the voicemail as well. 
which segue-tastically brings us into our next bit of uh, feedback, which is some voicemail over from Steve Brown. Mm -hmm. Hey, guys, it's Steve. Wow. Uh, Just finished the season finale, series finale. I guess we don't really know uh, of Watchmen. Uh, Man, I I don't even know where to start. Um, I'm... I had to pause and and restart the recording because I'm watching the credits go by and I noticed that there's a credit for a Rorschach and I wonder if that's just one of the cavalry or if maybe there's a deleted scene that uh, we don't have here. So, uh, listen in the credits. There's a, a Rorschach played by Trey Butler according to the credits that I'm just watching as they roll and you can probably hear the music great great uh, cover of the iron the wars wow um i can't wait to watch it several more times i can't wait to podcast about it but uh, uh wonderful ending i think they answered everything that uh, uh i had questions about that most of us had questions about uh, i think he, he did a great job uh stuck the landing for sure um the the use of the squids to wipe out everybody uh, was a a chilling. <laughs> I just got that twenty two degrees, um, but a, a chilling way uh, to do it. I wonder how many how many uh, innocents died in that that uh, eruption there. That uh, uh, those moments uh, we did see the scare and Jenny and Beyond were still alive there at the end. And uh, we, you know, obviously there's more story that could be told, but it, also we got it wrapped up fairly well. And, and we get a kind of an ending that's, that's, we can make our own decision about it. So, uh, can't wait to hear what you guys thought. Talk to you later. I'm looking forward to hearing what Steve's thought about uh, what happened at the end of that episode as to whether there is uh, a different choice. Um, I know Steve's doing his podcast, his final podcast tonight as well. So I will get to hear that tomorrow. Uh, Thanks so much for your feedback all season, Steve. I know, as I said before, you recorded directly after watching the episode. So these are all your initial thoughts. So sometimes you're taken off guard. And sometimes you're just really excited about, about talking about the episode as well. So thanks so much for sending those in to us. Yeah, thanks, Steve. Uh, I really like the funky tunes uh, from the end credits playing in the background. <laughs> yep. thought that was a nice little touch. It is a great, great version of the song. Hopefully you don't get a copyright strike uh, for having <laughs> the music that we haven't paid for on our podcast. <laughs> yeah, and um, certainly like like yourself, um, I like the ending where, you know, it's like Inception uh, and you can take it one way or another. Mm-hmm. I personally do like to think that Angela Abar got very wet after that moment. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I think she was given the power to walk on water. I think that's what we'll find next season. She didn't, he didn't give her any other powers other than walk on water because that would make her happy. I think that's what <laughs> the conversation they had in episode eight was about. If, could you transfer the power to walk on water and I could do that? You know, I think that's what it was, but you never know. Hopefully he hasn't cursed her with the, uh, with the actual powers of Dr. Manhattan, which is seen as a curse. It is a curse to all, but a present and a gift to none. I was trying to be really <laughs> philosophical there and like yeah. sound really intelligent. It came off terribly. Sorry, guys. <laughs> That's all I, right, tried, I tried. I tried. <laughs> thanks again, Steve. We'll be listening out to your finale podcast. Yeah, thanks, Steve. And we have another voicemail in from Joel Sharpton. 
Hello, TV podcast industries. Joel Sharpton from the Always Listening Podcast. And I normally would record this with my microphone and in my studio, but honestly, I forgot to do it earlier today. And I realize I'm not going to get around to it before you guys record tomorrow morning. So, or tomorrow morning for me. So I want to make sure and get this in because I do. Uh, want I do have a few things to say about the the season overall, potentially the series overall, and now I feel confident to say it since it's over. I very much didn't want to say much about the series because I wasn't I wasn't sure what the point of it was from Damon Lindelof's perspective and the rest of the writers. I knew what I was perceiving, but I wasn't sure where they were going with it. And other than one potentially troublesome issue. Uh, I think that they did a fantastic job with this. And so overall, I'm extremely excited to comment on it now and, and to share it or recommend it to anybody basically who's ever read the original or even anybody who's watched the um, film, the, the Snyder film, and enjoyed that. I feel like largely the Snyder film is a, a fairly faithful adaptation, uh, even though I don't think he understands it. <laughs> you know, it's the same thing with Star Wars. I think in many ways George Lucas doesn't understand Star Wars, even though he created it. He doesn't understand what it is that we love about it, which is why he could get the uh, prequel series so wrong in so many ways and why he seems so betrayed in some ways by what has happened now since Disney's taken it over. That's neither here nor there. My point is this. Uh, first, the troublesome issue or the potentially troublesome issue. Uh, and I wondered this actually when the character was first introduced, uh, but at the same time, I again, I didn't know where they were going. So I thought perhaps she was going to be the heroine of the entire piece. Lady True is presented as an immigrant from Vietnam and a Vietnam national, even though in this world, Vietnam is a state now of, of the United States as opposed to an independent uh, country. Regina uh, King, in the character of Angela, seems to have some residue of the destruction of Vietnam in as much as it relates to the murder of her parents. But even she doesn't really carry the weight of what was done to Vietnam. She somewhat empathizes, and there is that connection that she makes between Hooded Justice, her grandfather, and uh, the young boy who is the bomber that she sees in her childhood. But largely that idea of what is happening in Vietnam being wrong, of what Dr. Manhattan did being wrong is not really explored much in the series. Dr. Manhattan, I don't think he ever uses the word regret. Uh, it's clear, though, that he understands the gravity of it. He understands the gravity of it, but the series doesn't really play that out in any way. That's not the trauma that we are discussing in this season. However, having that as the background for everything that happens in this series and in the original comic too, Vietnam is such a central part of it. And then having who ostensibly ends up being the villain or one of the villains in this piece be a Vietnamese national, that's, I think that's troublesome. And I know there are already, I've read a couple today, uh, insightful pieces laying out why that was sort of ham-fistedly done and, and um, not a good way to take the story. Having said that, though, that wasn't 
the parts of this story that Damon Lindelof was brought in on, and one could easily imagine either he or other creators hearing that commentary and then reacting to that specifically with a story for another future season or a, or another um, you know section of this story. However, they want to lay this out if there is more in the future. I think HBO Max is going to demand that there's more in the future. The question is uh, whether Damon will be a part of it or not. I hope so, because he did a really good job with this one. And again, just as Ta-Nehisi Coates' writing sort of inspired this season, uh, the th- thoughtful takes on the failure uh, of that side of this story um, could be exactly what inspires the next season. So let's be hopeful that that good comes out of that. Otherwise, though, the story of Hooded Justice, the reclaiming of that character as a uh, African-American and in particular, one who had personally suffered injustice both as a child and as an adult and throughout his adult life, in fact. Uh, and then even in his legacy, it's interesting that we hear Adrian Veidt lay out, you know, I did this wonderful thing, I saved the world, and nobody knows it. And that makes him so depressed. And that's why he asks Manhattan to send him to, you know, paradise. Well, all of those same things could be said about hooded justice, you know, hooded justice in many ways saved the world, both physically, I mean, literally and figuratively. And also he inspired the entire fad of, you know, vigilante justice in uh, America. And yet nobody knows it. Uh, Nobody knows who that character is at all. But even the popular portrayals of him are, you know, a white man, a a middle-aged white, you know, normal guy with no story of of, uh, background injustice, etc., etc. I guess they do at least portray the um, homosexual or bisexual nature of his uh, personality. But at the same time, that's played more for laughs and salaciousness in the, the series within a series than for any you know, real investigation of what that means for him as a human being or what it meant, uh, you know, to have that secret contained within the first superhero. Anyway, I I just, I love the way that they did it. I sincerely hope that they come back. The other thing that I was left thinking, does Angela or does she not now have the powers? That's, of course, the question that we're left with at the ending. Except that, if you've been listening to, not to point somebody in another direction, but I think you guys have referenced it as well, the official podcast from HBO, uh, they only do three episodes for the whole series. Uh, they do you know one episode for each three uh, episodes released. But the one about the finale, Damon Lindelof seems shocked that people consider the ending a cliffhanger. Apparently, Tim Blake Nelson told him, you know, if you don't think that's the biggest cliffhanger in history, then you're crazy. Well, I don't know that it's the biggest cliffhanger in history, but I do think that it is left ambiguous. And apparently for Lindelof, it was not left ambiguous. That says to me that the power does reside in that egg and that it now resides in Angela. And if we see them in the future, and I do think if there's at all a second season, Angela will be a part of it. I think that she will now have the powers of Manhattan. I wonder what she'll call herself. That's my biggest question. Will she call herself Dr. Manhattan or will she decide something else? And again, the uh, last words of her grandfather uh, right before she finds the egg and, and goes out onto the pool, he says, you know, he was a good guy, but knowing all he could do, 
he could have done more. That's hanging over Angela, I think, too. Um, interesting stuff. Very interesting stuff. Anyway, thank you all for your coverage for the season and for all the coverage that you do at TV Podcast Industries. You guys do a wonderful job. I cannot wait to hear all of the things that are coming in 2020. There are some really fantastic movies coming and, and TV shows as well, and I think you're going to be um, focused and, and covering a lot of those. So yay for more great podcasting. Uh, and uh, here's to 2020. Uh, happy New Year. Thanks so much, Joel. I think he dropped his phone right at the end there, unfortunately. Happy New Year to you as well. Um, really great to hear from Joel Sharpton. Um, John, you may remember this, Chris. I'm not sure whether you do. Uh, on Joel, Joel's previous life, he used to review podcasts on a podcast called Pod on Pod. And he reviewed Gotham TV podcast four episodes into our podcasting history. We're now 440 I episodes do. later. Yes, I do remember that. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Yeah. yeah. It's great to hear that Joel is still, still listening along. Uh, he did give us a very good rating, which was very nice of him back in the day when we uh, had no idea what we were doing and just sitting in front of microphones talking about a show that hadn't even aired yet. Uh, but I always remember him being very polite about the show. So thanks so much for listening along and thanks so much for your feedback in this episode. Let's get into some of Joel's points, John. Yeah, thanks, uh, Joel. It's interesting. Um, first off, I definitely kind of like your little star wars reference there um <laughs> for sure but um i it's interesting on the lady true um and the angela abar thing because I, I i maybe i'm coming out slightly different i i don't know whether the series needs to play out the vietnamese issue um i think it's that was certainly very much you know um in, in the original issue, it was that whole idea of, uh, I suppose, American colonialism. It was very much uh, war and the potential for war to escalate into an armed nuclear conflict because mm-hmm. effectively it was a proxy war between the US and the Soviet Union through um, the the rival factions in, in Vietnam. So unless this series was about to play out about colonialism in the sense of, you know, because Angela Abar really is part of that occupying force then. Um, and she, she even says she hates Vietnam. But if we just simply assume that it's a new state of the USA, then I suppose that's why they don't as such play that out, uh, maybe to the extent that it could have been a completely um different approach to tackling this Watchmen series. Mm-hmm. And I think they've just decided to tackle it along the lines of um of, of race, racism, white supremacy, and so on. Um and and again, I suppose depending on the viewpoint with Lady True, if she's part Vietnamese, but Vietnam is part of the States, is she an immigrant? Um I, I, I don't know. Um that would be like saying that other appropriated parts of the US um that people who are born there aren't US mm, citizens okay. but mm. are immigrants which mm. is probably not correct so i mean you know just that basis um so it, it's interesting but i i think for me um certainly um i i'm not too sure that it needs to play on vietnam i think they're trying to that they i think they set out quite clear that this was about racism white yeah. supremacy ultimately but they have touched on it slightly through some of those latter episodes certainly looking at angela abar in um in vietnam when she was young uh, and meeting dr manhattan so yeah 
And I, but I agree with you. She doesn't carry that weight of, of what happens in Vietnam, but maybe Lazy True doesn't uh, either. Yeah, to some extent. So she was born in Vietnam a couple of years before um, it it became a, a, a U.S. state. Uh, that's the only real bit that we get there. And obviously, she carries the weight of her parents getting killed by terrorists in Vietnam, what she would call terrorists. Uh, what do the people call freedom fighters, as we discussed back in that episode? And there's an indication as well that Bian. Uh, the mother of Lady True is actually a freedom fighter, someone that doesn't agree with Americans being in Vietnam, that there's some indication that that was part of it. It feels like a, a plot line that was that was decided on as a, as a starting point, but wasn't followed through because there was so many other things to follow through within the series. And I like your uh, your comment there, Joel, as well, that someone else taking up a season two has a really good jumping off point to maybe focus on the Absolutely. idea of the even just the emigration of African-Americans from the mainland America to Vietnam. I think they reference that quite a lot, but we only th- see it through the eyes of one person, which is Angela Abar, because she's totally alone there after her parents are killed. Absolutely. And I, the experience of that might be really interesting to look at. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I think it's a completely different way of viewing uh, and tackling Watchmen, mm-hmm. which... Damon Lindelof could have chosen to do it along those lines, yeah. specifically focused around Vietnam, and it, it could actually be um, an interesting hop-off point around a season two mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I I agree with both of you on this. Um, for me, I saw it as 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 Derek said, it, it was a story that there was probably it was generated. They were thinking about taking it forward. And then it's actually, it was like, no, we have, um, we have these more important mm-hmm. story threads to focus on, yeah. which is okay. You see that in a lot in shows. Um, what I do believe, feel more is for me, the environmental character of Vietnam was not on the same level of the environmental character of Tulsa. Mm-hmm. Um, so while it did play a quite important part in terms of the, location it's more of a plot device than an actual character and i know that it's not diminishing what happened in it and i see where you're going but i i think it was just not as important that being said i like the idea and this is now damon if you're listening (laughs) or any of the writer room if you're listening the idea of tackling immigration and emigration mm-hmm. in 2019 through the lens of Vietnam and people there and building, I'm going to say building a wall of around Vietnam, something like bringing c- current political issues into this fictional world. Mm-hmm. That's an, that's a very interesting story, tackling those pieces. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I can see. Uh, his comments I, and thank you so much for the fantastic feedback yeah. um and yeah and and i don't think it's a dropped point either i think that it is mentioned enough there's a lot of scenes that take place there and there's a lot of reference to the fact that why people in the area hate dr manhattan was because yeah. he effectively annexed this country by force there's nothing you can do when a man like him is walking through your town destroying everybody around you you have to kind of give up and, and give in uh, to the power that is dr manhattan 
I like that that Dr. Manhattan actually does say he regrets it. He says to Angela, have you never done something that you knew you would regret? So he is saying, I regret doing what I was doing. I was trying to fulfill what the Americans wanted me to be, which was a superhero. And immediately afterwards, I regretted it. But he doesn't have the facility to go back and change it. It's done because it's done. So yeah. he has that moment of regret, but he knew he was going to regret it when he did it anyway. So, um, so I like that they have referenced it that way. Like John, I do like the reference to Zack Snyder not understanding what it is that people love about Watchmen. What I was very impressed with was about two or three episodes into the show, I saw some people commenting on it going, this isn't like the movie at all. There were so many superheroes in the movie. Everybody was able to like break everything apart and, and they were all super powered and stuff. And I was going, nobody was super powered in that movie. Nobody except for Dr. Manhattan. <laughs> he had superpowers. But the way it was shot, and I do love the film, don't get me wrong, but the way it was shot was as a superhero action movie because... It had been so rare to get superhero action movies with this kind of depth of, of storytelling. In a way, watching this series, and it's a massive compliment to the show that they did a great job of bringing Watchmen to the screen and doing a sequel to the Watchmen, which we've said a couple of times in the podcast. But I kind of also get the feeling that if you pulled the Watchmen references out of there and just did this as a straight show it would have been just as compelling a series. So that's why I believe that loads of people who haven't read the comic book enjoyed it as well, because I think it's so well written, regardless of the source material, regardless of the connections to a source material that you may not have read. I think they've done a great job of making a really compelling story for TV. I agree. Yeah, definitely. Thanks so much, Joel. Yeah, thank you, Joel. Yes, thank you so much, Joel. Uh, and we are always listening to Always Listening Podcast too. <laughs> yes, we are. Uh, yes, we are. We also had some Facebook feedback, and first up on the block is Ray Felix, who said, Simply brilliant. The poster gives away the ending. My predictions were 100% correct. I'll be praying for a season two of Watchmen. Thank you for that, Ray. Uh, yeah, I, I, mm, I, I'm torn on whether the poster gives away the ending in terms of Angela and Doc Manhattan and all that, but, um, I, I think it was more just an aesthetic choice, probably from the marketing department. Well, um, <laughs> sorry to correct you, Chris, because Regina King has said this week that she, even when she saw the poster after the episode went out, she went, oh my God, how did I not get that? <laughs> so in case you don't remember the poster, the poster is Sister Knight fully dressed in her gear with a massive blue light facing her <laughs> directly on. So indicating before we even saw the first episode that she would be Dr. Manhattan by the end. And nobody guessed it until about episode six or seven. And they went, hang on a second. Are they saying that she's going to be Dr. Doctor Manhattan before we even saw the first episode of the show? So uh, so it, it was a choice, but there was definitely sign off uh, from the showrunners on, uh, on that and from the writers on that, that, that it's a good way to hide it in plain sight as they've liked to do throughout this series. <laughs> but even Regina King wasn't aware of it until uh, people started pointing it out to her towards the end of the series. Okay, right. I completely take back everything <laughs> I said. I apologize. Uh, thank you for the feedback. Oh, as you to say, simply brilliant. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Ray. And I, I suppose as well, if Damon Lindelof has said that you know, the ending is clearly signposted. Uh -huh. Then I suppose that egg conversation in the bar, along with the poster uh, before episode one uh -huh. even aired, um, probably is clear signpostage uh, enough. Yep. Yeah, another little bit of Facebook feedback uh, through from our group. John Higley goes, a little pontificating here. 
The original graphic novel has a relatively bleak perspective on concentrated power, even in the hands of those that would seek to do well. Dr. Manhattan being omnipotent to an extent is the only one wise enough to decide not to play the game, but is human enough to try at times. The actions of the characters vary based on their level of status, influence, power, and ability. Ozymane Dias is the most human and the most capable, so he's the one with enough hubris to attempt to rewrite the world. It ends leaving the reader questioning whether that Machiavellian approach is ultimately evil or good, and is largely ambiguous on the matter. This series pays so much respect to that and adds deeper conversations about responsibility, race, power, and ownership. Hooded Justice is ultimately the prime mover, but his goals are never above his ability or station. Fight racism, protect his family, simple, direct, but more powerful in effect than any other character because of his willingness to act. Ozymandias shows the same hubris his daughter does and repeats the actions of the past without learning from them, as does his daughter, hubris. Looking Glass is the most damaged, but most clear-eyed morally. His actions are more about survival and finding peace than a larger motivation for society. Laurie is jaded and broken. She lives in a state of nostalgia and is consequently reckless. Who cares about tomorrow when everything worthwhile already happened? <laughs> it takes a combination of hope and looking glass showing her a different way to cope with trauma. And then there's the star of the show, Angela. She is clearly the entry point character, audience stand-in and aspirational figure. In the end, she represents humanity as a whole, and when she's given the opportunity to fix the world and take power, she attempts to, but we are left with the same ambiguity as in the comic. Does she gain ultimate power? Was that choice sound? What is the meaning of power, and how do we define morality? Who has the right to define morality and the limitations of power? Anywho, I just finished it like five minutes ago, so these are my off-the-cuff thoughts. It was a very good series, and I'm glad they ended it so succinctly. Hopefully, if they do a season two, they'll find equally interesting angles to explore with new characters and themes. Thank you so much, John, for, for the feedback. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, for sure. I really like your point on, on Laurie. Um, I, I found her character really just great to watch and how that was portrayed. Um, and I, I like the point you make about living in a state of nostalgia and consequently recklessness and that idea that what's the point in the future when everything good has happened or we just have to recreate the past now and bring it back because that was the best times, hopefully to recreate those best times um, and I, I uh, that sounds very like a hat that I've seen on somebody's head no at some point, John. <laughs> well exactly but I mean I, I think um Damon Lindelof kind of had the other point about nostalgia that kind of the idea that it is a wrecking bomb uh, and I think mm -hmm. that's something that, um you know in in this series is very much uh evident to me this idea of people who constantly are looking backwards yeah. and to have that history in their present to reverse things and other people that are trying to work for a better future yeah. you can apply that to the climate change debate you can apply that to um debates around um 
other countries mm-hmm. um to uh people are on on welfare you know all these things like that oh the, the you know you know this idea of well there's so many more people now on welfare than there used to be or why don't people just work uh, hard for their day and it's you, you know and it's like well because they may be disabled or out of a job and looking for another, you know, or all, retired. Yeah. yeah, or retired. Yeah. All these kind of things. So I, I think it's a really been an interesting theme for me in, in this series. Absolutely. John, five minutes after watching the episode and you come up with some fantastic thoughts yeah. and some fa- fantastic ideas. Get a podcast, man. <laughs> You'll be able to do this. We, we take today, days coming up with some some concepts. One thing, can, can I jump in here quickly after John's feedback because it's reminded me there's something that I wrote down on my original notes to talk about in the episode and I've seen it crop up a bunch of times here and I completely keep forgetting to talk about it. When Will is talking to Angela and says the phrase to her about Dr. Manhattan, he's very powerful, but he didn't do very much with that power. He should have done a lot more being as powerful as he was. Um, I don't want to ignore the fact that that's not just a statement about Dr. Manhattan. That's a statement about everybody in power. Um, that's a statement about all the people that say, isn't it awful what happened to African-Americans over the history of their time in this country. They were taken as slaves in the country. They were treated really badly. They were destroyed in the Tulsa massacre and they've been continually put down over the century by people in power. Well, if you're in power, then why didn't you do something about it? You had many, many opportunities to do something about it. All of us did. Every single one of us did. That is the statement that Will's saying here. It's not just about the superpowered being that is Dr. Manhattan. I think it's really important to not miss that from the conversation that we've had about this show. It's saying everybody putting their hands on their heads and going, oh, isn't it awful? Isn't it terrible? That helps nobody. What Will has done in this episode is take out the revenge that he has been seeking for decades on this group, the KKK, effectively. He's done that. That's what everybody should be doing. They should be taking out the anger on the KKK, taking it out on the people that are making lives hell for the people around them, not just going, isn't it awful? You're a person in power, do something about it, is, is his point, I think. So just want to make sure that we don't miss that as in all the discussions about this show that we've had. Yes, thank you so much, John. Um, I, there's not much more I can say that the guys haven't already commented on or what you, the fantastic points that you've raised. Um, it, it does come down to power, and I, I'm really interested to see if they do a season two. I really don't know at this point. Uh, I think money may point the way uh, and I'm interested to see where it will, what angles they may explore too characters and themes as you say um, so thank you so much we also have some feedback from Richard Blaze who said that was a masterful piece of television from the very beginning to the utter end don't be sad it's over be happy that it happened nice Richard yes very good good Lo- quote yes Cotton Fitzgerald also gave us some feedback over on our group on TV Podcast Industries where he said, loved it. Very satisfying on first watch as it seems to have stuck the landing. Nine out of ten. Questions remains about Judd's role. Why the conflict kicks off three weeks before Judd's death. The horseshoe in year one. Laurie's laugh looking up at the sphere that dropped the space junk. <laughs> why Angela hesitates before presenting Cal's body to John. Why Chu says so much to Angela and Lube Man, of course. 
I like the ultimate ambiguity over Angela and Dr. Manhattan's power, but I do hope Damon Lindelof knows the Watchmen audience and has clarity on the deal details in the show, not just in the auxiliary material. That will make it a 10 out of 10 for me. Still, the TV highlight of 2019, and fingers crossed for a season two. And fingers crossed for another set of pods from TV Podcast Industries. Bravo all round. Thanks, Cahill. Thank you, Cahill. Uh, appreciate it. Uh, yes, there will be many more, mighty more pods coming from TV Podcast. <laughs> mighty more? Minty mighty more. more. You know, I'm going, I'm going real Irish now. That is not an more. Irish phrase. Don't believe him. He just said the word many more wrong. <laughs> Fellow exactly. watchers, I promise. Let, let people imagine. I said minty more. <laughs> let the imagination run wild of what the carefree Irish man does uh, in the wild jaunting through the fields you know they are all going to start all of the feedback with top of the morning to you chris do you really want that do you no please right. no one please do that <laughs> anyway back to what Kyle was saying uh some great questions and i think you're right i think the ambiguity is there to let us think about what they could be it's the same as the watchman book don't answer everything answer answer as much as you need to answer mm-hmm. imagination kind of run wild um, because at the end of the comic book, we were always left with the question of what did happen and what were the next, what were the other things that were going to go on. Mm-hmm. So as the same with this show. Um, and as I've already said, yes, finger crossed for season two. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see what they do. Yeah. And in fairness, you know, there is this lovely thing they've been able to do with this show. You know, I think we talked about Twin Peaks a few times, um, about, about that show when, when we were younger, they were able to do things like the diary of Laura Palmer to give you more impressions and more information that behind the scenes that you may not know if you don't uh, read that book, you know, that kind of stuff. We had, uh, Dale Cooper's tapes, you know, that kind of thing in this show. Petapedia is its own character in a sense. Um, and I love that they were actually able to squeeze Agent Dale Petey into the show and then into the Lube Man outfit and have just a moment on screen (laughs) where Petapedia came alive. And if you weren't reading Petapedia every week, you wouldn't know who this guy is really because he only has a couple of, couple of big moments really just basically just to talk to Laurie. And that's kind of it. But other than that, his appearance off screen in Petapedia has actually added so much extra dimension. And I think HBO being able to do that and be able, being able to put these articles out every week that kind of answered a lot of questions. There's, There's some really cool information in there. Check them out. Definitely. And I think the thing is, you know, he, he wasn't on screen that long, but I love the fact that he was Agent Blake's punching bag. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just really, uh, really good. And, and I suppose, um, sort of sympathy lay as well. Well, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and the FBI leader as well, uh, being really critical of him uh, in that first, the first <laughs> yeah, time you, you meet him because he's just this person that absolutely is steeped in the history of masked individuals so you kind of need a character like that but you probably don't need them around too much because he'd waylay the story so i love that that's able to bring the nerdy blogger into the show for a couple of episodes and then take him out of the screen but he is has his own web page effect absolutely absolutely uh thank you so much carl Mm -hmm. um for for the feedback uh, and i'm glad you're enjoying the podcasts as well uh mike malone says let me start by saying i have no history with the original graphic novel Mm -hmm. it's long been on my to-do list but i never got round to it i tuned into this series out of curiosity and every minute was amazing 
The price of admission was an open mind and a willingness to be challenged. Not knowing the source material was never a barrier and never impeded my enjoyment. The writing, acting, direction and visual style were all stellar. I'd love to see more but would be satisfied if this is all the Watchmen we ever get. Thank you TV Podcast Industries for filling in some of my gaps and providing thoughtful discussion on this amazing series. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have some reading to catch up on. Uh, thank you so much, Mike, uh, for that. I'm glad you're about to race on into the uh, 12 issues, probably collected edition, um, out of Watchmen. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely agree. I think the writing, acting, direction, visual style, you know, has just been so, so good. You know, yes, there's always going to be something maybe that people do or do not like but that's because no one is perfect um and but i think this is absolutely um a great bit of television uh one of the series one of the shows that you can genuinely say it is cinema moving to the small screen mm. to give a 9 hour movie yeah uh Absolutely. This this was really great stuff. So uh, yeah, thanks, Mike, for for the feedback. And they built in food breaks at the end of every hour or so as well. It's kind of cool. They even had a post credit sequence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I will take one piece of umbrage with uh, what John just said. There, I am perfect. So uh, <laughs> I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, say Damon Lindelof. <laughs> Damon Lindelof. Oh, damn it! That's actually the correct pronunciation of his name. Excellent. Everyone else is getting it wrong. Excellent. Um, speaking of Damon Lindelof, <laughs> damn it, you guys. <laughs> Speaking of Damon Lindelof, what he does say in the podcast, the, the official podcast, the, the final episode of it is he would expect that someone that takes on a season two would be someone that watches this series and sees something that they that they don't really agree with or think could be changed, think that there is a problem or problems that can be fixed by doing another season because he felt the same way about the original Watchmen comic book, always felt some little things about representation or about the reality of the American experience that weren't included in the book. Um that he thought he could bring to it when he did a TV show. So uh, so that's kind of where he stands. So maybe when you read the book, Mike, you might see something in there that might inspire you for uh, for something else that might happen in a second season. But I'm totally satisfied with this first and maybe only season and only drop in the ocean here for Watchmen. Uh, it's fascinating. There's so many articles that came out since the episode, since the last episode aired. I think everybody I know that's been involved in the cast or crew all of them have been interviewed about whether there's going to be a second season and they're all going, we'd love to. We have no ideas how to do it, but we'd love to do it. We're all signed up. We have contracts. All the actors are all signed for more than one season. Um, now, Damon Lindelof is saying he's not going to be involved, but he has also said he might if the right idea came in, you know, kind of thing. So, um, yeah, right now, still no idea whether there will be a second season. I, I do I do see that maybe he won't leave the writer's room. I think that that's he'll stay, maybe executive producer. Maybe. He'll he'll help guide based on his genuine. He said that this production of season one or this, this series was a team effort, um, where he came had the initial concept, but the the gestation was done by a team of writers, um, of all different races, creeds, ethnicities, everything in between. So I think it's going to be very much that maybe he won't be the he won't have the genesis idea. But may he come in as a kind of 
He'll be a staff writer and <laughs> someone else will show run, but he'll be an executive producer. Maybe. Um, but again, let's wait and see. We are only a couple of days post episode nine, post the end. So let's see where we are in 2020. Mike, thank you so much as well. I didn't get to say it, but yes, we're happy to fill in all the gaps. Um, and we're happy that you enjoyed it now. Go, continue reading, enjoy the masterpiece that was the original, uh, and let us know your feedback on that over on the group. Boys, I think it's about time we move over to Petapedia. Uh, obviously, we've been talking about this on every feedback episode. Yes, there's just one document and one slightly hidden document on this week's Petapedia. Um, it's effectively Deputy Director Farragut uh, of the FBI firing Agent Dale PC and sending a notification to everybody in the FBI to go, uh, this guy was slightly mental basically. <laughs> so poor Dale Peaty is no longer a member of the FBI. Um, quite specifically, kind of says that they indulged him a bit too much in his fanaticism for this whole concept of getting the superheroes right and getting their information right. He basically says he's deleting Petapedia, he's getting rid of uh, all of the files that Agent Petey has. Uh, if anybody wants anything from his office, including multiple copies of Rorschach's uh, journal, he's got them all in there. Um, the whole concept of putting up the schematics for uh, the pornographic space age sex toys uh, is the wrong way for the FBI to conduct themselves <laughs> this kind of stuff. So it's a really interesting document, but does put paid to this whole idea of who Del Petey is and where he's gone. Um, there's a little link in there uh, mentions that they found some canola oil in his office. Uh, canola oil is the substance that lube man used on himself to slide into that uh, sewer so if you click on the words canola oil it comes up with a wanted poster for lube man as well so uh, all all dotted in there uh, effectively confirming that dale Petey is lube man and that he is no longer working for the fbi unfortunately i like the little reference to uh, nine inch nails here with the manhattan project obviously with um Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails doing the soundtrack for this series. Mm, and another nice little reference in there, because I was going to come to that in one second. It's not the, it's not Nine Inch Nails, John. It's the Nine Inch Nails. They've Ooh. only ever been called the Nine Inch Nails once before, and it was in their appearance on Twin Peaks. They were called the Nine Inch Nails. The band is actually Nine Inch Nails. So That's true. There's a little reference there. The, the volume three of the Watchmen soundtrack is actually covered as if it's the latest album from the Nine Inch Nails, and it is called The Manhattan Project, volume three of, of it, uh, with all the information about how the band formed, uh, when they formed, why they formed, and a, a complete historical creation of the band The Nine Inch Nails in the universe of Watchmen, which I think is really cool. And everybody's joking about the fact that um, this means that Twin Peaks is in the same universe as Watchmen, and that's why it's so odd and strange and different. It's <laughs> because... A couple of years before the death of Laura Palmer, a squid dropped in New York, and it's affected all of them as well. <laughs> nice touches, huh? It's interesting theory. <laughs> I love it. A little little documents here and there just to uh, mess with people's heads. Excellent stuff. So another great entry from uh, from PTPD. Just uh, just some interesting add-ons there. Yes, I do love the part where it does say that uh, Agent Blake is alive and well, and she wishes to thank those who cared for her pet owl while mm-hmm. she was away. She is not Harry Potter, um, <laughs> but she does have a very special owl. Yes, and I also like the jab from Deputy Director Farragut, uh, who says uh, the legacy of PCpedia is that it let it not be an example of how to conduct electronic 
discourse professionally. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Love it. That's it for PDPD for this week. We have one thing left, and it is our table quiz. Everybody looking forward to this? Yes, it is, fellow watchers. And dare I say it to those who participated, fellow quizzes um, <laughs> who, who joined in, it was a very, very tight race indeed. And in fact, you know, it came down to the, the wire uh, for sure. Mm-hmm. But I think what we will do is we will run through uh, the answers to each of the questions um, and then we will reveal the winner. I can say... Without a shadow of a doubt, this was very, very close for all of those involved. Yeah, we had a lot of quizzes uh, sending in their answers, but we have five uh, that are close to the top mm-hmm. here. Um, so congratulations to you all. But of course, there can only be one winner. Like Highlander. Yes. <laughs> there could be uh, only one. For the... Um, tote bag and watchman t-shirt mm-hmm. uh, from london comic-con and also the watchman comics companion book by dave gibbons mm-hmm. as well absolutely let's without further ado let's get in to the questions and answers session <laughs> our first question on episode one and two was name the aerial vehicle that makes an appearance in the first two episodes of the hbo watchman series so the answer to this is the biplane. Yes, yes. That uh, was seen dropping the propaganda over the American soldiers uh, in World War One, and, of course, bombing Tulsa mm-hmm. in the first episode. And um, the reason this came about was because John was watching it going, there's no way there was a biplane in Tulsa dropping. But, oh, that's actually true. That also happened in <laughs> yeah. real life. So that's why it stood out to you. But there was a... A slight question in the first episode, right? Yes. So, of course, um, we would also accept Archie, even though later on, and I think quite later on, I think it was the first time we see the construction of of Lady True's um, Millennium Clock that we kind of understand that Archie wasn't there. It was actually one of those kind of stingray-looking aerial vehicles. Mm -hmm. And so, but we will accept that because obviously at the time of submission in episode one, we too had written that down as an answer to the first question. Exactly, exactly. On to question two. What distinguishing item is on the robes deep in the closet at Jug Crawford's home in episode two? Yes, so the answer is the sheriff or police badge on the KKK robes found in the hidden space in the closet at the Crawford family home. Mm -hmm. Yes, so for question three of episode three, we asked, what does Agent Blake carry in the metal case that we see in the episode three of the HBO Watchmen series? You said you'd delete those out of the... (laughs) Out of the questions, John, so we didn't have to repeat them every time. So, yes. Well, it's not a silver rocket. It is a blue rocket, some space balls, and, of course, the Esquire magazine with Silk Spectre Takes Manhattan. So a very sexual answer to uh, the question. You know, it's one of those wonderful ones that a lot of these questions were written as just after we'd recorded our podcast, sometimes a little bit in advance of people actually seeing the episodes. So suddenly that whole thing completely blew up after John had written the question down, not knowing that everybody in the world would want to know what the hell the Blue Rocket was. I've seen so many memes. We've seen the the blueprints for them as well. So uh, yeah, interesting stuff. Yes. 
Question number four. We asked, how much did Mr. and Mrs. Clark get paid by Lady True in episode four of the HBO Watchmen series? So the answer to this is a baby boy, or dare we say it, a legacy, and a $5 million trust fund for moving baby food, diapers, and college fees. That's right. So the answer is a legacy uh, or, or baby and a five million trust fund. Uh, either of those two answers um, are acceptable. Very good. Very good. Excellent. Question number five. What vegetable helped Looking Glass track down the 7th Cavalry in the HBO Watchmen series? It was a romaine lettuce, mm-hmm. but a lettuce will do as well. <laughs> Any lettuce. So it, it links back to that f- opening shot with the police officer, the mass police officer, stopping over uh, a truck seeing the lettuce in the back going to the um back to his car uh, and then being fired upon by one of the 7th cavalry members mm-hmm. and we see wade or looking glass uh seeing this same lettuce in the car park of the bar where he met the woman but of course it was all a trap yes yes, yes. exactly uh, we did talk about this didn't we that the lettuce was actually there just to cover up the batteries that were in the in the truck yeah So everybody was wondering what the symbolism of the lettuce was. There was no symbolism. We were just being distracted by lettuce being in front of the batteries. That's all it was. (laughs) It's the same with a a good burger, getting distracted by lettuce. There you go. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Question six uh, on our pub quiz. What is the name of the Jewish family who owned the delicatessen that was set ablaze by Fred, who owned the grocery store, F.T. and Sons, in episode six? And the answer here is the Rosenblum family. Mm, this was the most difficult, I think, of all of the questions. This is one that you had to pause at a specific Definitely. scene. And you could see it. But yes, uh, a few incorrect uh, answers given here. And a few people dropped out of the running. Yes. And also for the second question, we we had a few uh, wrong answers that's as right. well. Yeah, yes. that's right. Question number seven. In Vietnam, before the explosion, how many marionettes were being operated at the puppet show in episode 7 of the HBO Watchmen series? Bonus point, if you can split the total number of marionettes by the different characters they represent. Mm. Yes, so the correct answer is 9. Because, and the bonus is there are only two different characters. There is Dr. Manhattan... And then there are two sets of four Viet Cong altogether, mm-hmm. so eight Viet Cong in total. So they're the only characters that are there uh, on the marionette theatre. Mm-hmm. Interesting one, though. Of course, if you said those those two, then you absolutely get the bonus uh, point. Question number eight. What does Dr. Manhattan bring to the table the first time he meets Angela Abar in episode 8 of the HBO Watchmen series? The answer that we were looking for were two beers, two ice-cold beers. <laughs> Dare I say two ice-cold beers in Saigon? Uh, not in Tulsa? Not in Tulsa and not in Casablanca either. <laughs> I just killed an Alex. I think go. you talked about it. Yeah. That was it. But that was <laughs> Casablanca, wasn't it? it yeah, was. yeah, yeah. yeah, I think so. Uh, just to say on that, most people got it right that it was beer, mm-hmm. uh, but some people did only say what a beer. 
Yes. Um, uh, so I gave you half a point uh, for that, and simply because it was what Dr. Manhattan brought to the table. Yeah, and it's important because he brings two because he's so confident and knows, in fact, that he's going to be in conversation with Angela and he's going to need the beer while he's while he's there. He's gonna, it's going to be the two of them with the beers, so it needs to be two beers. I was impressed somebody else added something to it, which I was very impressed with. There was another item also brought by Dr. Manhattan to the table. Yes, uh, someone did also mention a Dr. Manhattan face mask, which of course he was wearing. Yes. Um, and I suppose, yes, technically he brought that to the table. Yeah. Um, he also brought the clothes that he was wearing as well. <laughs> so, um, Full marks. so we just kept it to the beers, uh, on that one, but yeah. you know, good spots. It was the same for the marionette one as well. I think some people mentioned that there was a helicopter there, that there was a cyclops. Thing, but you know, just again, well spotted. Um, but we were looking for characters. Yes. But drum roll on to question nine, Chris. Question number nine, quoting an ancient Egypt inscription to the newspaper seller, name the places Adrian Veidt mentioned when he first sees Lady True's quantum centrifuge and professes that the end is nigh. In episode nine of the HBO Watchmen series. <laughs> don't need to say that every time. Well, it doesn't matter now. I know, but it's so much fun. You wrote it a few times. I just got to keep going. <laughs> and the answer is, of course, Egypt, Palestine, and Israel. Um, yes, one of the first and only references in ancient Egypt to uh, Israel uh, which is quite interesting. And of course, it was, I believe, that the inscription comes from a tomb that is opposite Karnak on the other side of the Nile that was um, built there by Ramesses II's son uh, when he became pharaoh after Ramesses II. There we go. And the quote, of course, from Adrian Veidt is, Israel is desolate and her seed is no more. Palestine is become a widow for Egypt. I think uh, Adrian Veidt's quote here um, isn't uh, exactly how it has been interpreted from the hieroglyphics on the uh, inscription at, uh, I think it's Menafta, um, are at the is the site in, in Egypt, if that's how you pronounce it. Right. Apologies right. if I've not pronounced it. But interesting that it's opposite Karnak, which is Karnak obviously being Adrian Veidt's exactly. home in... in, uh, in the Antarctic. Yeah. Or the Arctic. I can never remember which one's which. The Antarctic, probably. Right. Yes, the Antarctic. But that brings us to the end of our Watchmen pub quiz with a mighty bang, a drum roll, and everything in between. John, do you want to read out the results? Yes. So our top five quizzes. So in fifth place, with eight and a half points out of ten, is David Horrocks. So close, David. Well done. Yeah, really Congratulations. good. Then we have fourth and third, um, Steve Brown and Jimbo, uh, who got nine out of ten. Oh, well done. God, yeah, so, so congratulations. Joint third, I suppose. Yeah. Um, then in second, we have Benjamin Owsley, uh, with nine and a half out of ten. 
So close. Yes, so close, Mm -hmm. so close. But there can be only one. There is only one winner, and that is Will Walton, who got full marks, 10 points out of 10. So, congratulations, Will. Uh, You are the tote bag wielding, t-shirt wearing, Watchmen comics companion book reading winner of the Watchmen book quiz. So a big congratulations to you and also a big congratulations to the top five and everyone else who participated in the Watchmen pub quiz. I had a really good time uh, writing the questions. Mm-hmm. I hope uh, you had a uh, great time writing in the answers, trying to figure out what the hell I was talking about. <laughs> I know um, I did. It was probably, and probably it's like, you know, that slow car crash. Um, that was a pub quiz over nine weeks, everyone. <laughs> that is the slowest pub that quiz That is the ever. slowest pub quiz. Normally they rush through it so they can get to the bar and drink an, about 20 pints because there's been about 100 arguments over what the actual answer is, exactly. which is always the point of a pub quiz. Yes. Genuinely, fellow watchers, John has enjoyed this so much that he's already been talking about doing a monthly pub quiz for our Patreon uh, listeners. He's thinking about how to set that up so we could do a live pub quiz with some of our fellow watchers potentially in the future. So um, watch this space. You may see that in 2020. Yeah. So thank you so much, fellow watchers and fellow quizzes for getting involved in that pub quiz. Um, it was uh, really good fun. And again, big congratulations to to Will uh, Walton there with his 10 out of 10. Uh, we will certainly be in touch to ask you where we can send on the goodies uh, to you for your win. So, yeah, thanks, everyone, uh, on the Watchman Pub Quiz. Congratulations, Will. That was fantastic. Yeah, well done. Yes, thank you so much, Will. But ladies and gentlemen, fellow watchers, this has been the final bulletin of our Atomic Watchers episode and basically the final episode of our Watchmen coverage. It has been fantastic. We've enjoyed talking to you. We've enjoyed the show. We've enjoyed talking to each other and discussing these episodes. But you know what that means. That's it for the Watchmen. And that's it for TV Podcast Industries in 2019. Mm-hmm. We hope everyone enjoys the holidays. Uh, get a break, return, unwind, get a, a, a mug of eggnog or a nice whiskey, sit in front of the fire, uh, curl up with a good book, a good comic book, a good TV show, whatever relaxes you. We will return early in 2020 with our thoughts about all the shows and movies we covered in 2019. And... We will also be talking and announcing some of the shows we'll be looking at in 2020. So watch this space. Absolutely. Yeah, just one quick thing. Um, Don't forget there are loads of shows coming out for Christmas this year. There's some really good stuff that you got to check out. Witcher is coming out on Netflix. It's probably out as we release this episode. So uh, check that out. Uh, Expanse Season 4. Oh, I know. It's coming out, John. I know that you're really excited about that Ooh. as well. Yeah, Um. obviously we are giving up our night tonight, which is uh, the latest star wars premiere night uh, is on tonight we're giving it up for the podcast but i think we're all going over this weekend right we're all going to see star wars this weekend yes, tomorrow in fact the prequels yes. are just as good as the originals which are just as good as the new ones well everybody has their own opinions chris <laughs> exactly. as we always like to say opinions. on this podcast opinions are like flavor everyone <laughs> has them and everyone likes them differently Exactly. But let's reveal the first thing that we know we are covering in 2020. We might as well. You've been waiting a long time uh, throughout this podcast and throughout the season to find out what we're doing next. We know we are definitely going to be covering Star Trek Picard. 
coming to the world oh. on Amazon Prime uh, from January 23rd. Uh, it's going to be an episodic show. There's 10 episodes confirmed for the first season. Uh, we'll be covering it weekly as well when it starts coming out at uh, the start of next year. And it has already been confirmed for season two. That's usually a sign of quality, isn't it? Although Watchmen didn't get a season two yet. I don't know. I don't know what's a sign of quality anymore other than watching the shows and finding out whether it's quality. Do you know what a good sign of quality is? Sir Patrick Stewart. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Sean Luke with his old boiled egg head. <laughs> what? <laughs> it was segueing from the egg theme in Watchmen. <laughs> Interesting, interesting. Already confirmed lots of appearances from the cast of uh, The Next Generation. I think myself and John definitely were of age when that show began. I think, Chris, you were probably of age when that show <laughs> ended and and started off your geekdom as well. So I think we're all uh, got a little bit of Star Trek Next Generation uh, fandom in our minds. Coming of yes. age. It sounds like Canterbury Tales or something <laughs> like that. It was only Hark, the 1990s. Back in the day, I do <laughs> yeah. hear Stardate 111.12. <laughs> Lo, behold, thee heareth a spaceship. Um, I think you'll find that it premiered in 1987 and finished in the early 90s. That was it, yeah. Yes. So, um, yeah, but we were uh, very far behind in uh, the UK. It wasn't like now where everyone gets het mm-hmm. up with... Oh, it's two seconds later than before. This was two years. <laughs> two years. I, but- I actually went to my first and probably one of my only ever Star Trek conventions just so I could see the first two episodes of uh, Deep Space Nine, which had appeared on screens in America a year beforehand. And I still had to go to a convention to watch two episodes of it <laughs> before it was released in Ireland. There you go. That's how far behind we were. And we complain when we don't get something like good omens the day it's released in america or three months or six months isn't it for for the uh disney plus shows so uh yes. yeah gonna be fun yes so there we are we are transforming from fellow watchers to fellow trekkers that is your first bit of news for this upcoming 2020 make sure you stay subscribed to the podcast at tvpodcastindustry.com for all our future podcasts. We'll be announcing more and also going through those other ones that we've just talked about. You can show your love and show your support over on patreon.com slash tvpodcastindustries and help us keep on the lights, keep on the servers, and generally just have fun and keep talking. But you can also support us by sharing the podcast with your friends. It's sharing the love. And don't forget, while you're there, sure, leave us a five-star rating because... Five star rating mean you love us. <laughs> if you have the time, of course. Uh, once again, yes, thank you to everybody that's been supporting us on Patreon. And thanks to everybody that's been sharing the podcast over the year. Um, this has been a phenomenally successful year for TV podcast industries. We moved everything into one big pot this year. Um, from having Defenders TV podcast over on one side covering Marvel and Gotham TV podcast covering DC, moved it all into TV podcast industries. Um, we've had more downloads this year and more new listeners this year than in any year in our five-year history. So uh, that's thanks to all of you that have been staying with us for all of our episodes coverage. Thank you so much for spending the time with us this year. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I get quite misty-eyed here um, with our usual festive uh wishes to our fellow watchers fellow defenders fellow gothamites fellow um omeniters i can't even remember why i call them fellow boys and girls um but certainly yes um it's been great having everyone come on board giving their feedback listening to the podcast enjoying the shows with us 
Um, yeah, it was uh, really good. Uh, and uh, yeah, thank you so, so much. Angels and Demons. That's that was it. Yes. Fellow Angels and Demons. For yes. Good Omens, yes. Good Omens been confirmed that it's being released on BBC on the on January 15th. So if you haven't seen it yet, watch it there. And we have uh, podcasts to cover that as well. Loads and loads of stuff going on. We have so many episodes and so many things that we've covered over the years. And so much more to come. Until next time, fellow watchers. Yes, thank you so much. Keep listening. And we will see you in, well, we'll hear you. Or you'll hear us in 2020. <laughs> yeah, as always, fellow watchers, thank you so much for joining us. It's been great having you on board for this episode and, of course, for all of 2019. It is just for me to say festive wishes and happy Christmas, fellow watchers. May all your Christmases be blue. <laughs> Remember, keep watching, keep listening. Bye. 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 Um, yeah, another bit of uh, Facebook Facebook feedback. Our favourite type of feedback is Facebook. <laughs> you backed your face? I have. <laughs> this was a Televisual Podcast Industries production. You have been listening to The Watchmen Podcast.